noon on the following day, as their journey brought them close to the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat. While others were preparing the meal, he had a visionary experience. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large linen sheet being lowered to the earth by its four corners. Inside the sheet were all kinds of four-legged animals, reptiles, and wild birds. A voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter exclaimed, absolutely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke a second time, never consider unclean what God has made pure. This happened three times. Then the object was suddenly pulled back into heaven. Peter was bewildered about the meaning of the vision, the words of God for the people of God. Amen. Please be seated. It's a time we encourage all the kids to head out for kids' ministry. We got Millard back there who's going to take them out of there. So let's clap for the kids. Our kids' ministers, thank you all so much. And we want to introduce Alan oh, Chipman, okay. the right. beloved brother, Alan yeah. Chipman. All right. I'm going to take a... Okay, cool. I, don't know, I never know which stand to take. And as promised, I will not move the cords. Okay, everybody, it's great to be with you all, as always. Is this how this works? Oh, my gosh, this just became... broke it. I was not led by the Spirit when I did that. <laughs> all right, so it's great to be with you all. First of all, let me start my timer, because as you all know, I'm a long-winded son of a Baptist preacher. <sighs> okay. Uh, so it's great to be with you all again. Uh, this, is, this, this was a message that actually surprised me a bit, because uh, Drew asked, like, hey, brother, you want to preach? I was like, sure. I looked at the calendar. I was like, oh, it's the day before Juneteenth? I'm going to put on my Malcolm X pin. I'm going to get blacky, blacky, black, and it's going to be amazing. And then the Holy Spirit was just kind of like, uh, actually, I want to talk about something else. And I was like, oh, okay. All right, cool. And really talking about how do we discern when the Holy Spirit is leading us to a place of inclusion. Yeah. Right? Uh, when we are pioneering the new ground of inclusion, how are we to be led by the Spirit in times such as that? Um, I'm also super glad Kenny made a Batman joke because <laughs> right in my summary, Batman is like all throughout the sermon. It's funny. <laughs> so last time I was with you, right? Hey, come on, my man. There we go. Last time I was on to you, right? It was a spirit-led dad joke. Happy Father's Day, right? Okay. <laughs> last time on the writings of Luke, right? I was with you all and we talked about how the gospel overturns hierarchies. Uh, and that is in the book of Luke. We're now reading the book of Acts, and the question is, the gospel overturns, but does it expand who it includes? Yes. Answers tomorrow night, same that time, same that station, right? So before we get into this, let's talk a little bit more about Acts and some vital information for your everyday life for all of my All That fans out there. Interesting facts. Luke was the only Gentile to write a book of the Bible. So again, don't be anti-Semitic. <laughs> This is a, a tradition we were included into. Um, that's right. And if that's not correct, you know, 
send Stephen an email. Uh, <laughs> and he's still writing to Theophilus, a.k.a. Uncle Phil. When I was with you the last time, we talked about the most glorious, excellent Theophilus, and now he just goes by Phil. Luke is still writing to Theophilus about the core characteristics of what the Jesus movement is actually about. So now, from the time of Luke to Acts, there are now kind of two camps within the Jesus movement, right? Which is kind of like, them's the breaks. <laughs> which is like, it is what it is, eh, too bad. And there's kind of like the what if I told you, right? So there's a camp where they say Jesus came for the house of Israel only, right? The law of God is clear. The scripture is clear. You know, if you're, you're either chosen or you're not, if you're not chosen, hey, them's the breaks. What God is doing is exclusive and inflexible. Then there's another move within the Jesus movement where it's kind of like, what if I told you Morpheus never actually said, what if I told you, which is true, by the way. I, I spent too much time last night seeing if it's true and my heart was broken. But people categorized both as Jew and Gentile, clean and unclean, within the law of God and outside of it, are receiving visions that Jesus is for all people. Here's the complicated thing. The Holy Spirit is inviting them to discern what it means for all people even though there are parts of the law that seemingly prohibit it. What God is doing is inclusive and expansive, even more expansive than some of the current revelations they've received from God. And so we can see this today, and, and uh, should we affirm, should we not affirm, should, should, can, can women be pastors or should we throw them out of our denomination? <laughs> All these things happening. And it is this continual rhythm of is some that believe what God is doing is exclusive and inflexible, and there's some who are believing and seeing the Spirit leading them into what God is doing as inclusive and expansive. So Acts kind of goes from, so the book of Luke was about upside-down gospel, how God flips hierarchies. Acts is about moving the outside in. And so it's a kind reminder of us to take off our American-centric theological lens and remember that we are not those who are included in this text. You know, this is a joke because DJ Khaled says, we the best music, but I just say like, we the Gentiles, like as a reminder, like, <laughs> not that we're the best, but like, we the Gentiles. So as you're reading this, it's not about God came for America and came for us and we're centered and he invited some other people in. Like when they talking about should they let people in or not, they talking about us, we the Gentiles. So Luke in the here is telling the story of Cornelius, who was the first Gentile convert to Christianity. And the gospel of Luke, again, like about the upside down gospel, now Luke is expanding and saying that it is also the outside in nature of the Jesus movement. It's also interesting when you think about where Luke is situated, right? Luke is a Gentile who's writing scripture about how scripture left him out, but the spirit wrote him in to God's spirit of inclusion. So when people say, like, how will you be? Why are you inclusive? Why are you expanding? Because that's how I got here playing. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so here in the midst of these two camps, Peter receives a vision in a city called Joppa that changes the trajectory of how the Jesus movement understands the, the gospel. So buckle up. We're headed to Joppa. <laughs> So here's the over Acts 10, chapter 1, the story of a man named Cornelius. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, 
a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people. He gave generously to the poor and the Jewish people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. It's interesting. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Here's where this is interesting. So this is also a little joke. So Cornelius is someone part of the Italian regiment. This is kind of a summary. Are you there, God? It's me, Mario. Sorry, I had to make the joke. All right. <laughs> Anyways, it's someone who's outside. He's close to this movement whose scriptures he's not sure includes him or not, yet he is still seeking God. He is still being faithful and devout. He is still giving to the poor. And he's wondering, God, I'm here. Is there space for me in what you are doing? And it's interesting, the things that change the heart of God. It's not that you know, Cornelius believed in the inerrancy of Scripture. Cornelius believed that Genesis was history and not poetry. Uh, Cornelius, you know, whatever, had only reads the King James Version, you know. <laughs> the things that moved God to a spirit of inclusion were how Cornelius treated the poor. And this word memorial is only used uh, three times. Uh, the other two times are described how Jesus talks about when Mary in her alabaster box, how the world would remember her for what she did. The other time is used for Cornelius, someone who was outside of what scripture said was included in. And so he was an outsider for the law of God, but God was moved by his devout faith, prayer, and what he did for the poor, and he sends him to Peter in Joppa. This is what interests me when we think about a doctrine of uh, inclusion, a theology of inclusion. Um, you know, as, as, as was read earlier, Peter is shown this vision of things that are unclean per Leviticus 11. But it's interesting that before Peter, the, the rock on which Jesus says to lead his church, is even addressed, before the leaders of a church are addressed, before the scriptures are updated, we see that God already accepted Cornelius. It's not that God was like, hey, Peter, man, um, this is a guy Cornelius, mad cool, you know, pray. If it fits in your scriptures, let me know if he's in, because if, he, if you say he's in, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bless him. I'm going to accept his offering. Pete, God is doing this before Peter is even informed, right. before the scripture and the canon can catch up. His prayers and generosity to the, to, the, to the poor has so moved the heart of God that he's been accepted by God before even the leader of Jesus' church is notified. It's important for us to understand as we discern through inclusion that we're not, in, we're, we're not deciding whether God, what God is going to do in this moment. We're just preparing ourselves for whether or not we will be a part of what God is doing. Right. God didn't have to wait for their approval. God didn't have to wait for their understanding. God didn't have to wait for their denominational vote which does happen in Acts 15, by the way. <laughs> God wasn't bound by their approval, their understanding, or even their canon of Scripture. It's good. 
So this, this means, what does this mean for us today? When we fail to follow the Holy Spirit in a greater inclusion, it doesn't mean that God hasn't accepted those we considered or society considered unclean. It means that we simply miss being included in what God was already doing. When the SBC votes to throw out churches that have women as pastor, it doesn't mean that God hasn't been using those women. It just means the SBC is going to miss out on how God is already moving. When a denomination says, I don't think God is pouring out his spirit on our LGBTQIA siblings in Christ, that doesn't mean that God isn't using them. That just means that they're missing out on what God is already doing. That's right. I'm going to get a little blacky black because you know it's Juneteenth. You know, when the Methodist Episcopal Church said, I don't want them black people praying here and eating communion with us and we're going to send them out. And so when Richard Allen and Ashlyn Jones found the African Methodist Episcopal Church, it doesn't mean that God wasn't with them. It just means that those people over there were missing out on what God was already doing. So now let's go to where Peter is. Again, y'all, we got a lot of Batman jokes in here. <laughs> God is good. So now we, now we get that, and now we're in Joppa with, with, uh, with Peter. This is what's interesting. So let's read this. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. God gave him his government name. But anyways, uh, he is lodging with Simon, a tanner. That does not mean that. You know, he was less pale than Peter. I'm just joking. His house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth. The significance of this is that they were Levitically unclean. And a voice came to him, said, rise, Peter, Peter, kill and eat. He said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything, un- anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again, the second time, saying, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. So there are a couple of things in context which are super important as for it gets the full meaning of the significance of what's going on in this revelation to Peter. Okay? One is... Joppa, why this location, why the job of Simon the Tanner, why this profession, and then uh, Peter, Jesus calls uh, Peter, Peter, Simon Bar Jonah, why is, what is the significance of Jonah in this location? First thing that we need to know about, as they say, location, location, location. Peter receives this vision in Joppa. Joppa is the place where Jonah flees because he doesn't want God to include the people he has a bias against. So have you heard of Jonah and the whale? Or at least seen the VeggieTales version. This is the VeggieTales version, right? All right. (laughs) God essentially tells Jonah, I know you don't like the Ninevites, but I am sending you there to call them to, repent, for, to repentance and into fellowship with God, Jonah says, I'm not trying to go over there. He flees to this place called Joppa where he tries to leave. And so here we can kind of see this, and I want you to see the significance of, of, of Joppa. If you read Jonah, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against us, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. And so then it says, then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. 
So he prayed to the Lord and said, ah, Lord, essentially, this is why I wasn't trying to come. I fled to Tarshish because I know you gracious. Ah, can you imagine? Isn't it weird that that's something that you're angry about? Merciful, yuck. Slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness. You relented. Take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. That's a really weird way to respond to the grace of God. So essentially, you know, we go to the next one, you know. Jonah was being a Karen. <laughs> and God took it personally. <laughs> you know, God is like, yo, is it even right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be more angry about this plant or this tree that was giving you comfort than a city of 120,000 people? This guy, Jonah, says, it is right for me to be angry. I want to speak to the manager. No, I'm joking. So this is how Joppa went <laughs> the first time, okay? So now when we get, so this is what's, some things we can, we can learn about this when we're thinking about the voices we listen to as we're processing whether God is including or not. Jonah refused to be in the presence of a God who would include his enemies instead of eliminate them. This is something that we see with James and John. When they go through Samaria where they have a bias against, they're like, man, let's call down fire, get all these people there, and Jesus rebukes them. He was more enraged about the end of his comfort than the inclusion of those who made him uncomfortable. This is a lesson for us. Be careful of discerning spirit-led inclusion with religious voices who rejoice more at the wrath and punishment of God, but are enraged by the love, mercy, and abundant loving kindness of God to those they consider outside. (laughs) here's what's so bad about his theological imagination Jonah couldn't imagine God calling in those he loved to call out he came from a tradition where his joy was I'll talk to them if God's going to condemn them but if God is going to include me include them I could just die Location, location, location. Peter receives this vision in Joppa, the same city where Jonah refused to expand the message of God because of personal bias. Second thing we have to understand, Simon the Tanner, why this profession? First of all, why is, why is Peter here? This is again a show of the Spirit. Peter is here because he's led here by the Holy Spirit to revive someone named Tabitha, who, by the way, was also known for being kind and generous to the poor. Peter raises from the dead and is staying in Joppa, that same place. Simon the Tanner was also a socioeconomic outcast. He lived on the margins of society. People say historically that because of the the smell of the work they would do, that, you know, I'm a little book policy guy, so I'm going to nerd out a little bit. They had zoning laws that didn't want them in the city. They put them on the margins of the city because they didn't want to have to deal with, with, with what they were producing for them. They also work with dead, with dead animals, and so these same Levitical laws in, in Leviticus 11, scholars dispute whether they were deemed ceremony unclean, so it's potential that, that, that Simon, even though he was a, 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 a believer, that he was, he was in a lifestyle around uh, dealing with unclean things, and, and so they were, they, were, they were ostracized in spiritual places. They were ostracized in society. 
Uh, so, uh, someone uh, I was reading this asked about journeys with Jesus. Says, Almost anyone would have felt superior to him, but Simon the Tanner had joined the Jesus movement and found acceptance there that society never gave him. And so we hear Simon Peter called to Simon the Tanner. And Simon Peter found God sought to work miracles and honor those who both religious and cultural society considered unclean. So here we see, again, the outside in. Peter's getting this vision and being confirmed that God is already working in the margins he's called to include. He invites Peter to discern, including those deemed unclean, while Peter is dwelling among those considered unclean. Um, and so let's, let's go to the third thing. So what's up with, with Jonah? And here we see Peter, Simon Bar Jonah, called to the same place that the last Jonah was called to, but this is the difference in spirit that Simon has that we should have as we lead, go to uh, a place of inclusion. He would say in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Scholars believe that Simon bar Jonah means a couple of things. One, Jonah could have been his daddy's name, okay? You Jonah's boy. Some believe that this, this is Jesus connecting Peter's spiritual lineage to the prophet Jonah. Simon Bar-Jonah, also meaning, Bar-Jonah meaning dove, meaning a son of the spirit, meaning that just as Christ is the new Adam, Peter is the new Jonah. But this time he's not led by a spirit of bias. He is led by the spirit and where the spirit is leading to inclusion of those previously excluded. You can put some of the two people, you can put the same evidence in front of two different people. But if people are led by their bias, if people are led by what God is doing is exclusive, and somebody else is led by a spirit that says what God is doing is inclusive and expansive, you can put the same evidence in the same city, in the same, in the same situation, and people come to two completely different things because there is a difference in their spirit. And so here, Acts... Peter, more open, Simon Bar Jonah, more open to what the old Jonah had to say. In Acts 10, 15, a voice came and said, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. To make clean, katharizo means to make clean in a physical, moral, and Levitical sense. To make unclean is the word koinao, which means to make Levitically unclean to render unhallowed, to declare or count as unclean. But here's the problem. Peter was perplexed because the Mosaic scriptures in Leviticus 11 would have him to say certainly not, but the Spirit of God is leading him to say certainly so. So continuing our theme, riddle me this, Batman. <laughs> what do we do when scripture says certainly not, but the Spirit of God may be saying us to say certainly so? So for the sake of time, we see that Peter then uh, is led, Cornelius is led into the presence of Peter. Uh, and, and they said, Cornelius is a centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good re reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And it's interesting because here Peter is standing in this moment. He says, man, you know... It's unlawful for me as a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to, to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. 
And so this tension and this moment of inclusion, when people have the text and people have the, the scriptures that they can use and misquote and, and apply their application coming to you, how are we to follow in the spirit of inclusion that despite of what that may say, God is leading us to call what some religious traditions, what some societal power structures have called unclean, clean because God has deemed them clean. And then Peter says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And even those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. So I want to talk about Oh, man, I don't know. I have enough time to talk about. <laughs> I'll talk about it a little bit. Okay. So it's, what's kind of strange is that, how am I doing on time, by the way? Am I all the way past it? No, I think We're good? Okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. So even Peter, even though he receives this vision, there's a story in Galatians 2 where despite seeing this revelation from God, he begins to believe less in that revelation because people from spirits who have religious authority are encouraging him to distance himself from the vision that, of inclusion that Jesus gave to Peter. And it's interesting because those who, who, who the Spirit leads to inclusion are often accused that the culture has led us to this point. I mean, the, I mean, the Lady Gaga song is cool, but I mean, it's not forming my theology. <laughs> but those who accuse us fail to acknowledge that often it is not the Spirit but it is their religious culture sometimes that leads them to exclusion. Jonah and the men from James did not follow the spirit into inclusion because they were scared to confront narratives of exclusion and sometimes the narrators of exclusion in the culture of their religious tradition. The sad fact is that sometimes, some, some today do not embrace inclusion not because they don't sense God is movement, moving, but because they are scared of not being booked at conferences not getting the money from their denomination, being viewed as a heretic. Some don't follow God because of who he includes. Sadly, some people follow God because of who they believe God excludes. And so this is an interesting factor when we see from, from, from koinao, meaning unclean, to koinonia, to which means fellowship within the scriptures. And what are some of the signs that, that God may be leading us to inclusion? When God is moving, he may call us to fellowship with those we have been taught are unclean. God tells Peter that he will be bringing those people into his proximity. Jonah wanted to judge from a distance out of his bias. Be careful of religious voices that tell you to judge certain people when they are not willing to be in presence with them. The men from James didn't want to sit and eat with those their books called unclean and discourage others from doing so. Christian religious leaders later in Acts were upset that Paul had a Gentile close to the holy places. They preferred prejudice over proximity. They preferred talking points over talking with people. They preferred demonizing documentaries over developing deep relationship. But the Holy Spirit led Peter from Koinao and saying people are unclean, people are impure to Koinonia, to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This is true in the story of Jesus. They, they repeatedly criticized Jesus because of his casual disregard for ritual purity. 
He touched the leper. He ignored Sabbath laws. He touched a woman with a bodily discharge. He befriended Gentiles. He handled a corpse. People complained that his disciples ate with unclean hands and didn't fast. How are we to discern a process of inclusion? So to close, because you can't talk about this version of Batman without talking about, come on, everybody, the shark repellent spray. <laughs> so I'm going to leave you all very, very quickly with some tools as you, are, as you work through your own process of discernment, as you work through your own process of, of inclusion. Spray, an acronym, okay? You know, because, you, you, know, you know, sometimes when you're, when you're examining where God is including, sometimes they stick the sharks on you. You know what I mean? I don't want to traumatize anybody anyways. But here's what's interesting to me, okay, besides because I love puns and terrible jokes. What, what, as I went through this text, what was interesting to me is that their process of if God was including someone looks so much different than what the process sometimes looks like today held up by religious leaders. Luke's tools to discern spirit-led inclusion. The first essence, pray. Service to the poor and the people of God. Are you able to discern how the people that you're called to judge, how, how is there, what about their service to the poor is what moved the heart of God? The people who are telling you to exclude people, what is their service to the poor? Right. What is their service to the people of God? What is their proximity to the marginalized? Do they judge from a distance? You know, I, I, was, I was loving somebody, uh, somebody who was speaking the truth at this Southern Baptist Convention where they were telling, you know, Women can't be pastors. And somebody got up and said, about the people who were trying to kick the women out, said, we cannot be led by people who post more than they pray. Wow. Yes. I said, bars. <laughs> <laughs> we see the character and nature of Jesus is that Jesus was including people. He was always in proximity to people. Even when he had to exclude the rich young ruler, really the rich young ruler excluded himself, he still was in relationship with him. Are people rooted in love, believing the best and not the worst? So many times when we're asked to include people, people always have the articles and, you know, I'm black, so they'd be like, hey, what about Chicago? What about this? What about, but are they, do they have the capacity to see the dignity of a person? Can they believe the best? Are they patient? Are they kind? Are they truthful? Do they have the fruit of love from 1 Corinthians 13? A, are they able to see through their bias? We see the difference between Jonah and Simon Bar Jonah. Are they able to see through their bias? If, 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 if we think about our LGBTQIA siblings, if, some, if the news said tomorrow, we found a Dead Sea Scroll, y'all, and Jesus married a gay couple, and it's all good, my bad, we, 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 uh, we, we uh, it got lost in the archives. <laughs> but it's good now, y'all. Do we think... Like magically, like the tear falling from Belle in, in, in uh, Beauty and the Beast, that all of a sudden all the hatred and bigotry and all the things they say, they'll say, oh man, I, I'm just this way because I, I didn't see it in the book. Do they have the ability to see through their bias? Right. And then finally, are we yielding to the Spirit in prayer and the fruit of the Spirit? So many times, the reasons why I can't really get with some of the people who are behind the spirit of exclusion is that I just can't see the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. I can't see kindness. I can't see gentleness. I can't see long-suffering. And so these are the tools that we can kind of unpack in your utility belt of theology and your shark repellent spray. 
<laughs> as we think of this together. Here's some questions I found uh, someone from who writes at Journey for Jesus. He says, I found it humbling to ask, what outcast do I sanctimoniously spurn as impure, unclean, dirty, contaminated, and far from God? Is it the mentally ill? Is it people with multiple marriages? Is it wealthy executives? Is it welfare recipients? Anyone different from me? How have I distorted the self-sacrificing love of God into self-serving elitism? What boundaries do I wrongly draw or might I break? We need a community state not by the ethos and politics of purity, but by the ethos and politics of compassion. In our Joppa moments of discernment, may we be like Simon Bar-Jonah, the child of the dove. Let us be discerning, but let us be open to the ways throughout the generations that God is leading us to spirit-led inclusion. I close with this. I love this thing that uh, uh, Pastor and Carlos Rodriguez shared. We think about them's the breaks versus what have I told you. He says, the Bible is clear. Moabites are bad. They were not to be allowed to dwell among God's people. But then comes the story of Ruth the Moabite, which challenges the prejudice against Moabites. The Bible is clear. The people from Uz are evil. But then comes the story of Job, a man from Uz who was the most blameless man on earth. The Bible is clear, no foreigners or eunuchs allowed, but then comes the story of an African eunuch welcomed into the church. The Bible is clear, God's people hated Samaritans, but then Jesus tells a story that shows not all Samaritans were bad. The story may begin with prejudice, discrimination, and animosity, but the Spirit moves God's people toward openness, welcome, inclusion, acceptance, and affirmation. (laughs) You may be at a Joppa moment. You may say, I feel the Spirit leading me. I see the fruit of the Spirit. I see these things there. And you might be feeling like Peter, saying, certainly not. But the beauty of the Spirit's discernment process is that he can take us from certainly not to now I realize. So let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, first, that you included us. We were outside. We were marginalized. We were on the outskirts of the plans of salvation, but you not only turned the world upside down, but you also brought the outside in. And you have given us this same ministry to break down the walls of division, God. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to discern and be open to the ways in which you still are expanding your gospel, expanding your family. Help us to be of those to have the spirit, not of Jonah, of bias and fear, But Simon Bar-Jonah, the the, the son of the dove, the spirit, discerning us into the ways in which you are expanding your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.